Hello and welcome to Indie Cult. I am George. I am joined with... Hi, I'm Evan. And this is a podcast where we discuss the struggles and uh, creative process of independent artists, right? Sounds about right to me. I'm still trying to figure out the right, like, tagline for this whole thing. So this is the fourth episode that's being recorded, but this might end up being the first episode released purely for the reason that the first two episodes recorded were a real mess. And I don't know if they're a good indicator of what the show is. I think like listening to those two episodes, you're like, I don't understand anything that's happening. Well, it's a, it's a lot like filmmaking itself. You write all these scenes and then sometimes the last scene ends up being the first one. Yeah, exactly. So the, four, the fourth episode might end up being the first one, which is going to cause confusion because I think in the other episodes we refer to them as the first episode, the second episode, the third huh. episode. So there might be some uh, – it's like Pulp Fiction of podcasts. It's like not in chronological order, but once you listen to the first four episodes, it all connects and makes sense. You just have to do a little uh, uh, jigsaw puzzle. Basically. So who the fuck are you? I am me, and I can be no one else. <laughs> That's pretty deep. You said that before, too. So, <laughs> Say it twice. It's true. So um, let's see here. Director, cinematographer, photographer, producer of film and music, and rapper. Am I missing anything? We could probably just sum it up as artist. Yeah, that's a good way to sum it up. So those are all your credits. Yeah, more or less. So well, which of those things did you fall in love with first? Or which was your first venture into the creative arts? My venture into art started before I even knew I had a passion. The first conscious choice was in high school. We just started making music uh, in the lunchroom. That turned into bedroom music, which led to video, uh, which was connected to film and all the other loves in art. So it started with music. If we go further back, it started with uh, movies. Just enjoying movies, movie after movie. Uh, it wasn't until a later point that I started noticing the music itself. The music, you mean in movies or you mean just in general? In general music. But when you first started creating art, you started with music. I started with music. Now, one might say uh, what came before that was home videos making oh. films with just little camcorders with your friends and your family uh, without maybe any real story, almost like a documentary, stitching together different events and scenes and just enjoying that process. And then whatever became of those? Storage. <laughs> <laughs> just taking up space somewhere? Uh, until we find the time, uh, maybe during a quarantine, to revisit some of our lost treasures. 
it's the perfect time to go through stuff. I mean, you really have no excuse. Well, how have you making how have you been making use of this time in the quarantine? Have you at all? Writing, film study, cinematography, uh, just using my time as I would even if there wasn't a quarantine study. So, um you and I have a long-standing working relationship at this point, right? Mm -hmm. um, why don't you talk a little bit about how that got started? It started with film, mm -hmm. talking about film and uh, an interest in film photography led to an interest in, in making a film or buying a camera before even knowing what a film would be about. Just the idea of, uh, I'm interested in making a film, expressing that idea, and your response is the same. I am too. Before we know it, the camera came on board, and then the script, and then and then the film itself. I, um, I, I spoke with uh, John Soul about, like, seeker a little bit and that how that came to be in the trials and tribulations of making it and um one of the things we talked about was the the most glaring error is of course the audio quality and i talked about the boiler mm -hmm. um i mean it's it's funny because i might put this episode out first yet i'm talking about <laughs> this in the past whereas for the audience it'll probably be in the future um but making our first short film, Seeker, which is available on uh, on Vimeo right now, if you'd like to go watch it, um, there were some challenges that we faced. Of course, obviously, there were challenges that we faced, and there was there was that experience of making, of like diving in, right, and making this short film when you could say that we were mentally prepared for it, like in the sense that we've been preparing for it our whole lives since we, mm -hmm. we love movies so much, but there was an element of um, not really knowing what we're getting ourselves into, considering we were a two-man crew. Like we, very few people besides the actors, if anybody really was involved in making the movie. Um, and that led to its its own um, slew of, of of problems, but our big takeaway was what we learned from making that movie, right? So why don't you tell me a little bit about what you personally took away from making Seeker and what it was like making the first film, and and not only to 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 make your first film, but to make it on film actual celluloid film which comes with its own degree of of permanence right there's no oh man we fucked that up let's delete it and and do it again it's mm -hmm. like no we shot this and that's forever now mm -hmm. seeker was an ambitious undertaking for the first film we had an idea of how uh, a story and scenes could come together and uh Shooting on film wasn't really a concern. Shooting on film was something I had been comfortable with. I actually prefer to digital. It allows us to slow down and really focus on what we want. Whereas in digital, one might uh, shoot more than one needs. Uh, they might choose a million angles without really uh, 
making a conscious effort as to why they put the camera somewhere or why it moved a certain way. The struggles were mostly with the audio department, or probably that's the the glaring error or issue there. The funny thing is calling it a department. <laughs> when what's the department? Who's in that department? <laughs> a few different people who uh, whose job was to hit record and then place a mic somewhere. Yeah, well, yeah, place the mic somewhere. Hit record. Hit record, yeah. People would forget to uh, record the audio. Um, they missed sounds that would be happening in the background. The challenges for Seeker were were many. Although I think, as you mentioned, it's been uh, it was a great learning experience. Before you uh, before you go on, what I wanna. Yeah, I hear that too. It's dude, it's 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 coronavirus, you know. Someone's been caught outside, so they're rounding them up. Um before you continue, what I wanted to to talk about was uh we had a a friend of ours who was recording audio and this was we sh- we shot the first scene of the day and and we just yelled cut and that was it and we were like, "Oh, we did it. The first scene of the day. That was really good." We're celebrating. We were celebrating. Yeah, because it, we we nailed it. One mm-hmm. take. And um, he comes over, the, our friend who was recording audio, and he goes, guys, that was really great. I didn't get the first 10 seconds. <laughs> and at that point, you're not even upset. You're just like, okay, let's do it again. 10 seconds. Uh, the second time we heard it, I think it was 20 seconds. Yeah. When we actually heard it back, it sounded like more than 10 seconds were missing. Sounding close to uh, the whole take. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> and it was uh, a dialogue uh, scene. So mm-hmm. you, you couldn't really fake it. You needed that sound. You needed the audio. Yes. The audio was the most disappointing part of Seeker for me. So we had the boiler going off as well, which was coming in and out randomly. So you couldn't even account mm-hmm. for it. And then we tried to take that frequency out right in in mm-hmm. the in post-production which is um a lesson that every filmmaker i think needs to learn and sometimes you need to learn learn it the hard way you cannot fix it in post hmm. if you have ever thought if you were on a set and you were like ah we'll fix it in post you, you've already fucked up you've already made a mistake you're not getting what you need on set so you've already You've already set yourself up to fail. Mm-hmm. Some directors will say, know your tools, or even cinematographers might say, know your tools and what you can fix in DaVinci Resolve, for instance. Which is what we use. We use DaVinci Resolve. Although I would prefer, too, to record everything we need on set and, and use the tools only to reshape what we might have missed. So one thing I think that we both have said is like, we're both independent filmmakers. We're still fairly new to the process, right? And we don't pretend to have the the keys to success, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, but we're we're in the process of looking for the keys. And I think one of the purposes of this podcast is to you know showcase that you know everybody is in this has gone through this or is going through this process of of struggling and trying to find your voice. And, and your stride and, and what you're good at and what you're not good at. 
right now we're in the gestation period of 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 making a feature one day, right? We're in that period where we're making short films because we want to use it as an opportunity to learn how to make films properly and 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 who we are as filmmakers. This is our film school, right? Neither of us went to film school, but that we're I think like we're getting a lot out of making these short films and I think there is what makes me happy is I think that there is a progression with each short film that we've made. Seeker, Pokers, The Crumbling, I think we we improve in different areas mm-hmm. every time we make a short film. I, I don't think either of us are ever 100% satisfied with any of the shorts that we've made. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you agree with that. I, I don't expect to ever be fully satisfied right. by any of the work. It will never reach... Uh the ideal level uh, we have to accept that it will be whatever it will be in the end and and nor should you i don't think there should ever be a point where you're like it is perfect i couldn't have made it better this is the best it could possibly be it could never be improved on because then it's like well what are you saying like you have no more growth i don't think that that's ever true i think mm-hmm. there's always an opportunity to learn you could be the one of the greatest directors of all time and i think even that person would say no, like I still learn on every shoot. I learned something that I didn't know mm-hmm. the last time. And I, I think that's especially true for us. We learn a fuck ton of stuff mm-hmm. every time we we shoot a short film. Yeah. Um, and I think we take great takeaways. And, and um, not to say that every film is better than the previous one, because sometimes it's about taste. Some mm-hmm. person might say, yeah, like poker. Like one thing that we that I've heard frequently is that our second short film, Pokers, was better made. However, people like the story of Seeker more. It was more interesting, you know? Um, I personally think like Crumble, The Crumbling, the, our latest short film that right now we've submitted to some film festivals is our best work to date. Um, but others might say, no, I liked I liked another one more. I mean, so far, I think like our friends and family have said it's mm-hmm. good, but the problem is showing to friends and family, you mm-hmm. never know how honest that feedback is. Yeah, I, I think it's clear that we are getting better with every film that we make. It looks and feels more professional. Yeah. And we learn from every shoot. And, you know, uh, some people spend a ton of money going to film school. Uh, We'd rather spend a ton of money making films. In the end, we're getting to the same road. Yeah, that's a good point. The... I guess the the positive, I think, from from film school is you're given, like, the resources. Mm -hmm. So it might be... um, uh, easier is not the word. It's not easier. It's mm-hmm. just that it might be um, co- more convenient, I guess. When you do make your short films for film school because they're assigned projects, you're given everything that you need mm-hmm. in order to make it. Whereas for us, we kind of slowly over time acquire things that we add to our arsenal of filmmaking equipment. Yeah, acquire or, or rent if if need be uh, the right. potential... Uh ease of borrowing equipment when in film school is is also nice uh, it comes with its own price tag and yeah there are additional resources there for sure uh, people who may work in the business who can give you good feedback there are benefits to it although um, a lot of our fam- favorite perhaps filmmakers and some of the greatest filmmakers of all time probably never went to film school they studied film and they studied audiences and they studied life, right? Life can imitate art. Art can imitate life. Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of them did go to film school, though. There are like, like uh, I think like Martin Scorsese, for example, is a product of film school. Like Spike Lee, I think, is a product of film school sure. and so on. There, there's an endless list, I yeah. think, in both categories. 
Sure. Well, we might say, though, John Ford, uh, uh, Carl Theodore Dreyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a number of individuals for which film school didn't exist. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a good resource if someone like for people that it's good that there is a school for it because there are yeah. there are certain like art forms that, you know, there isn't really a real school to to go and learn how to do sometimes it's just like you have you have no choice but to learn it from doing and and watching other people do it so it's good that we in that industry in in the film industry there is that opportunity Um, obviously both of us chose to go the just making films route there's no Um, wrong or right way uh no everyone has to choose the way that's that's right for them for me it just happens to be that uh I believe school is a great resource, as you mentioned. It's a great opportunity to learn what you want. Although if any of us really want to learn something, uh, it doesn't have to be through school. We can pick up a book. We can read about it. We can uh, consult with people in those areas. We can receive feedback. School is a great resource. Uh, Not always necessary if we want to learn something. Especially in this day and age. I mean, the the, the resources at your fingertips are... Uh, I mean, unprecedented. Yeah. Right. You don't even have to go to your local library to get a book on filmmaking. All you need to do is open up your, take what's in your pocket, you know, Mm -hmm. and and there's videos and and, and books that you can download immediately Mm -hmm. and all sorts of resources. Yeah. I think there's a website called No Film School. Right. uh, There's No Film School. It's just, hey, these are ideas. These are things you can use to make your your art come to life. Ultimately, like no matter how many books you read, no matter how many videos you watch Mm -hmm. until you actually do it, Mm -hmm. that is the ultimate teacher and failure. Failure is the ultimate teacher, right? Like we we look at Seeker and if we made Seeker today, which is only like a couple years later, Mm -hmm. we would have made it much better because we're like, when we were editing, we were seeing our mistakes. We were like, oh, the the actors were too close to the wall. Mm -hmm. The lighting was too even. Mm-hmm. The audio was, I mean, let's not even get into it, right? Like we could see everything that we mm-hmm. did wrong. It was apparent. It was right in your face. Yeah. We need to fail to learn. Uh, failure is a necessary part of, of growth. Yeah. And uh, we would we would never know what we knew today if we didn't do those things wrong. And, and part of the process is we'll do them wrong. We'll learn from them and we'll we will get better with every film. Yeah. Um, I, I always like um, Quentin Tarantino uh, was saying once how he, um, before he did Reservoir Dogs, he was like shooting this little movie beforehand that never really mm-hmm. got finished or, or released. And he was talking about how um, over the time that he was making it, he was noticing how the stuff that he shot later was much better than the stuff that he mm-hmm. shot earlier for that movie. Yeah. And like he treated it kind of like the way we're treating our filmmaking. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not comparing us to Quentin Tarantino, of course mm-hmm. not. But I'm just saying it, it's a similar attitude, right? It's like, yeah, I'm seeing like my second movie was better than my first mm-hmm. movie. My third movie was better than my second. I'm seeing that growth. Yeah. And eventually we want to get to that point where we can make a feature film. Learn by experience. Learn by, yeah, learning learning by doing. Yeah. And we also founded a little film group, Right. Yeah. What is it called? Spinning Real Films. Spinning Real Films, R-E-A-L. Yes. Well, why is that? Are we trying to, we're trying to be funny? We're trying to play with words there? It's because there's real film in that camera. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, both of us prefer film over digital. Mm-hmm. Um, 
why don't you tell me why you prefer film over digital? There have been numerous debates over film versus digital resolution and there is a texture and a quality to the film that I prefer the color saturation uh, we can argue some of the resolution or the the um, exposure latitude of film that's a great one I think for me it comes down to what I learned in in uh, film photography in general when you have a digital camera you shoot and you don't really think about the process because you have all this memory and you have unlimited takes when you're shooting film you only have so much film so the moments that you capture each frame that you capture is very special you really want to think about what you want from it which shots and 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 how it's to be delivered film forces you to really think about the process to slow down and to capture only what you need. Not only does that make the post-process uh, easier, it also makes the process of, of capturing those moments more special. It's not like a robot. You're not drumming over a million takes, and you know Kubrick did it with film, and that's fine, although that would not be my use for film. And Kubrick had the only had uh his only option was 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 film you yeah. know who knows maybe if digital technology was around or he he lived to see digital yeah. take uh take dominance he would have been like oh this is fantastic i can yeah. do uh endless takes like david fincher yeah he switched to digital immediately and yeah. I, I don't know him personally so i can't speak for yeah. him but i would guess it's because yeah. he's like a kubrick where he does a lot a lot a lot yeah. of takes I wouldn't be surprised if a, a lot of directors were thinking i have this film i want to get made, I need this mon much money to make it, I can get this much money, I can save money on film stock. Uh, that's not always true. Sometimes the expense is the same in the end. Well, something I think that it, you don't think about is time is money. Yeah. You know, and so like you said, a lot of time when you're shooting film, you're more efficient because you know it's like every shot counts. I can't go mm -hmm. back, I can't delete, I don't have endless takes. Yeah. So you, you have a much more efficient production, so you move through production a lot faster and that could end up being less costly in the end or, or the same about yeah. the upfront cost seems more oh i gotta buy film yeah but in the end who knows you yeah. don't know for sure there are people working overtime transferring footage from uh memory cards at the end of the day in, in those trucks you're paying them exactly uh, there are more takes you have to pay an editor to sort through more information uh, more videos yeah. cut down more sound syncing more dailies uh, in the end it's been argued that it can be the same cost. A lot of times producers or the people with the money, unfortunately, think and feel, well, Digitar has a crisper or cleaner look, which isn't necessarily true. And it will be cheaper, which, again, isn't always true, but it does make sense. I think they also like the idea of being able to easily review the footage themselves mm -hmm. as well, especially if yeah. you're working for a, a big studio um, and if they're doing like a big budget movie that they've sunk a lot of mon money in, a lot of the time I think those executives and producers, they like to be able to easily access the footage. So I think like what happens is that it gets uploaded mm -hmm. and then they can just see, oh, let's see, let's see what so-and-so director shot today. Yeah. You know, whereas sure. with film, it's like, oh, you, we got to get it. We got to, it's like a whole process. And I think the ease, the ease of digital, I think is also very alluring to a lot of people. 
the convenience of in digital is and the biggest factor. Let me just say, when I say ease, I don't mean it's easy to make mm -hmm. movies on digital. I don't want anybody yeah. to think that that's my no, no. my opinion. It's not. I just mean the the practical ease of just shooting on a, a smaller camera too, a lighter camera, all that stuff yeah. makes things easier. I don't yeah. like to say easier, but just more convenient. And sometimes you can achieve shots with a digital camera that you can't on a film camera because it's yeah. more portable, because yeah. it's lighter yeah. to use. Yeah, you, I mean, you could fit it right into a dashboard. Uh, exactly. Good luck fitting some 16 or even a 35 into a dashboard. 75 uh, millimeter huh. camera into a uh, 75, 70 millimeter camera into a dashboard. 70, yeah. 65. 155 yeah. millimeter camera. <laughs> <laughs> Panavision. Yeah. yeah. I also find the grain a lot more beautiful than, than the pixels. And, and this might be a preference. And there are a number of uh, cinematographers who will argue that, you know, I, I have all of these filters that I can use that can emulate and you won't be able to tell the difference. And I say, you know what, maybe you're right. Maybe the look in the end will be similar. Although, again, the process of making the film will have changed. And I think that process of slowing down and allowing an actor just a few takes to really perform what's, what's in them it is something really special. Sometimes with those filters, though, if you put filters on to mm -hmm. make it look film-ish, film-like, um, I, I think it's hard to find the right balance because I've mm -hmm. seen I've seen like shorts and, and and films where they have added that filter to give it more of like a grindhouse mm -hmm. aesthetic, right? They add like yeah. dust and scratches just to, and it doesn't it you could tell that it's artificial. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it's really there. So I think when you're applying those filters, it's not as easy as, oh yeah, I'll just, I'll just slap this filter on and all of a sudden nobody can tell that it wasn't film. It looks like it's film. It's not yeah. always true. Yeah, it's not. Uh, That's they, a skill in and of itself actually to add those filters on properly, I think. To add them and, and some people even creating the algorithms that, that apply those or, or scanning, you know, scanning the film and overlaying it. Yeah. They're all different methods and they do require a certain skill and, and practice to, to achieve well. There is something about the aesthetic of film that I personally find more appealing. I don't, I don't hold anything against digital. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I don't like think less of a movie if it's digital. Some of my favorite mm -hmm. movies from the last 10 years have been digital. Some of my favorite directors shoot exclusively digital. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm trying very hard to make sure we don't sound pretentious. This is exactly what this is. Because I don't think it's a yeah. matter of pretension. I'm just saying it's a matter of of, of preference. If I have yeah. the choice, I will choose digital. I wouldn't. I personally wouldn't be opposed to doing something on digital mm -hmm. um, if, if it had to be. Yeah. If for some reason it had to be, I'd be like, all right, I'd rather do it digital than not do it. I, I'm a bit of a film snob. Uh, there's something about the process. I started digitally and... Uh, well, the truth is I started on, on probably little disposable cameras, which were film, although yeah. I eventually started taking pictures with the digital camera. And I find that digital cameras are an excellent resource for learning how a camera works. You have instant uh, feedback from the camera. Oh, this is overexposed. This is underexposed. This is how I build a silhouette or blow this out. We can learn so much from digital cameras. Uh, it's just my preference that the performances and, and the style of, of capturing uh, a moving image beyond film. The, um, the, the instant uh, feedback that you get from digital, I think, is the real mm -hmm. um, benefit to, to learning. Because if you try to learn how to take photographs on film, I mean, it's going to take you much longer to mm -hmm. really learn and see what mistakes you've made. You're mm -hmm. like, and, and, and the fact that the, 
the actual exposure that you set for each picture is right there embedded mm -hmm. in the picture that you can easily see, yeah. oh, this is the expo this is the f-stop that I set, this is the shutter speed that I set, and so mm -hmm. on and so forth. With film, it's like you get the picture back after you get it developed, and then you're like, you gotta figure it out and mm -hmm. write everything down, and yeah. then it's like, okay, this one was wrong, let me take it again, oh, it's still not right, mm -hmm. let me take it again, it's still not right, it takes forever. There's a real art to uh, learning, lighting, and, oh, yeah. and, and measuring lighting in film, right? To, to know where the light comes from, where the shadows are cast, right? That, that's how you build that contrast in film, something that we lacked on our first film seeker and, and a number of the, the, the uh, scenes, especially the dialogue scenes, there wasn't a lot of contrast in the lighting or contrast in the coloring of the lighting. Well, that was one of the things we learned, right? Like yeah. that you shouldn't light everything the same. We lit yeah. everything the same. The whole room was lit evenly, right? That was an, yeah. that was an error. There was no contrast. Yeah. There's nothing dramatic about that. Yeah. Some of the scenes were, were quite flat. Yeah. Maybe, you know, it, it looked like it was like some, like a, like a fluorescent lit office or, yeah. you know what I mean? It didn't, it didn't yeah. look appealing. We might argue that Whoever seen Seeker in that film, John, came from a very flat and depressing reality. And, and the dream sequences themselves were a lot more interesting and vivid and, and, and yeah. had more contrast. Maybe in some ways it worked in that film, although ideally there is some level of contrast in each scene. That I think, excuse me, that I think is the beauty of art is that you can just make your mistakes intentional <laughs> retroactively. Oh, the, the lighting was really flat and even. Oh yeah, it's because it represents <laughs> the flatness and monotony yeah. of his life. An idea I've been exploring is that we as filmmakers sometimes end up with things or end up, a scene might end up a certain way that we don't realize and, and maybe it does have a value that doesn't stand out to us, something we missed or, or something that we contributed that we never noticed. Our subconscious plays in ways, and, and sometimes we can make a piece of work that sends a certain meaning to everyone else that we might have missed. And, and we don't know it even until reflecting on it or, or watching it back. Yeah, I mean, I mean, once you make something especially, it's no longer in your hands what people take from it and what people take away from it, mm -hmm. nor is it... Um, nor should you be saying, no, no, I meant this mm -hmm. when, I, when, I, when I said this. It's, it's not... It's not your choice anymore. Like yeah. you, you, sure, of course you had a message in mind when you made this, mm -hmm. but if that message is not what's coming across to the audience, to the viewers, it's not up to you to correct them anymore. Yeah. You know? If we have to tell people what our, our art is about, um, either they're missing something from it or we did a poor job communicating a, a certain piece of information. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was another thing also um, I mentioned with, uh, with, with John too. Like I talked about like some of the criticism we had gotten for pokers. Mm -hmm. um, and I said like I think people missed the fact that pokers was this kind of what I call like elevated reality or mm -hmm. hyper reality. It, yeah. it feels like it's a play that yeah. was all done intentionally. And, 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 and I was, we were talking about that with, with John and he was saying how like, yeah, people didn't get that. And it's... Yeah. I, it's not that people didn't get it because that sounds like I'm saying it's your fault mm -hmm. that you didn't get my movie. My movie's good. You didn't like it because you didn't understand it. That's <laughs> bullshit. That like, that's like the the sign of a of a weak man. You know what I mean? It's to, defensive. To, it's very defensive. You have to take into account. Okay, like I tried to do this thing, 
people didn't like it or or it didn't come across. That's on me. That's not on you because you didn't get it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's on me for not communicating it properly. And, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, maybe some people do like it. Some people don't. It's not for everybody. Nothing is for everybody. True. People can't even agree that water's wet. <laughs> yeah. Film, for me, is is all an experiment. You know, every movie we make is is an experiment in film and in, in trying to elicit certain emotions, feelings, and information. Uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It's an experiment. Like you said, we don't know until we put it out there and see how how uh, people as, as, as a group respond to it. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like um, there's something about what we're doing in that every, every film that we've made so far is, is pretty different mm-hmm. from the other one? Right. And do you feel like personally, my take on that is that there's there's an element of that experimentation of saying what what works for us as well as trying to trying versatility. There's I mean, sure, there's an appeal of saying, oh, like I did I did this and I'm really good at that. So I'm just going to do that. I'm only going to do horror movies because I'm really good at horror movies. But I I think like both of us don't want to get don't want to be like that because we want to we want to try things and, and see yeah. what we're good at and and maybe drama is not for us maybe yeah. we realize you know what we can't fucking do dramas but we yeah. can do horror movies but we don't only want to do horror movies we want to do yeah. you know comedies and so yeah. on i don't want to speak for you although uh in the process of us writing and brainstorming and coming up with ideas i, I rarely think in terms of genre i think story what, what's this about what are the elements in it right um I find myself as my brain uh, drifts into these stories that they, they cross over into different areas. It doesn't just have to be a horror story or, or a drama or a comedy. It can contain all of these elements. It just needs to be true to the characters in the story itself. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. I don't think um, any of the scripts that I've written or the ones that we've written together, I don't think we necessarily or I necessarily set out to say this is mm-hmm. a thriller. This is a drama. I mean, I guess I knew that in the back of my head, but it yeah. wasn't like a conscious thing. And it's like, oh, like like Pokers, for example, was meant to be a drama, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it was a little funny, actually. So it, it kind of dabbles in the comedy element. That yeah. wasn't intentional. It's just like that's what it came out one of the characters just kind of turned out to be funny. And that wasn't really a choice that I made. It just mm-hmm. felt right yeah. as I was writing. And that's something that I personally allow to happen. I, I allow the script to go where it needs to go. If mm-hmm. Sometimes like I'll be writing like, um, I'll be writing like Flannel Mouth, for example, mm-hmm. which is a Western that we're, we're in pre-production for. Um, I didn't necessarily know when and how it was going to end when I was writing it. I just Mm -hmm. knew the setup and I was like, okay. And I was just kind of going one line at a time. Okay. He says this and then he'll say this and then he'll say that. And then things kind of just went along and eventually I'm like, oh, it's, it's done. It it ends here. This is where it is. And then it just felt right. It just felt natural. I wasn't trying to like force it into a box. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that's wrong because sometimes you, sometimes you have to, you know what I mean? Especially if you want to adhere to like a three-act structure, yeah. you kind of have to say, okay, like now something needs to happen mm-hmm. if that's what you're going for. Yeah. I, I think it's like you said, something that you feel though. At some point you're like, oh, something, this is a spot, something happens here. Yeah. We just have to feel it out as, as it's forming. So um, 
we've got, I guess, three films made completely at this point, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we we kind of work together in in varying capacity. Mm -hmm. um, so far, I guess the the three consistent elements, three I believe, are the consistent elements in that you've been cinematographer on all of them. Mm -hmm. um, we've been co-producers on all of them, and we've mm -hmm. been co-editors on all of them, right? Yeah. And then everything else kind of, it varies a little bit so far. Yeah. We've co-written a couple, co-directed, mm -hmm. we co-wrote Seeker and we co-wrote and co-directed Seeker and um, No Trespassing, which is in post-production. Yep. Um, do you feel like there is a substantial difference between when we're co-directing or co-writing or you're directing solo or I'm directing solo? Do you feel like there's a substantial difference between those two um, combinations? I'm not sure I would say substantial. The way I've been feeling about it is that, that we're in it to make these films together. Although if it's you're directing or you wrote it or I directed or I wrote it, it's kind of like one person has more of the final or, or overt say where, you know, where it's rare that we come across a section anyways that we're both kind of uh, at odds with. Oh, I like this one better. Oh, no, I like that one better. I, I think we just kind of work on a level playing field where we are trying to make the best movie possible. Yeah, I think I think I agree with that completely. I think what's interesting is that we have different styles, mm -hmm. I think, especially like when you watch um, Pokers and then you watch The Crumbling, which you directed The Crumbling, I directed Pokers. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, with, with Flannel Mouth, which I don't want to say it's similar to Pokers, but I think when you see those two movies, you'll say, yeah, I can see how the same person directed both these movies. Okay. Um, I think like you, you see, like we have a different style. You're much more visual. Yeah. You're much more... Um, cerebral right mm -hmm. i'm a little bit more about like the dialogue and the characters yeah. you're more about like what the picture and like the scenery mm -hmm. and all that yeah but somehow like we're still in sync on those things because i think we both i think we both have a decent understanding of what works and mm -hmm. what doesn't work and i think we have a uh, an appreciation of each other's choices yeah it's like okay like if i were to direct or write the crumbling mm -hmm. it would have been completely different completely different <laughs> but i understand right. what you're making and I and I am working to bring your vision to life. And I know what a good scene is. Even though I wouldn't have made it that way, yeah. I know what is good and what isn't good. Yeah. And I think that's what makes like our our partnership in this mm -hmm. work. And I think it adds that versatility. Like I get the opportunity to work on these on, on a movie like The Crumbling that mm -hmm. I think is visually like stunning. Mm -hmm. And that's like the big draws, like, especially like when mm -hmm. it opens, it's like, it, it really takes, takes you in. Mm -hmm. I don't want to seem like we're tooting our own horn or anything like mm -hmm. that. Um, obviously the crumbling is, has its own flaws, of course. Um, Each one does. Everything does. But I would have never like made a movie like that if it wasn't mm -hmm. for working with you. Cause you yeah. would make a movie like that and did. It allows us different perspectives and points of view, and it helps us expand our own understanding of cinema, right? If we were both thinking and filming things the same way, we wouldn't be able to grow from that. But being able to bounce things in a way with someone that thinks differently helps us expand. You know what? Actually, I think that now that I'm thinking about it, I think the fact that we do kind of have that difference in style would work better if we had the same style. Cause like, it's almost mm -hmm. like we're kind of like filling each other's gaps. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we were just kind of like both visual, I think there'd be a lot more arguing about like, oh, this is a better picture. No, I know what a better picture no, looks like. This, this is a better picture. But yeah. because it's like, I know that that is your, mm -hmm. 
that's your wheelhouse is the visual. It's like, I know yeah. that you're going to make the best yeah. picture that we can make. We listen to each other because we know, okay, your strength is there and it's just obvious. It's not like, oh, there's no defensiveness about it. Yeah, that, that works better. Okay, let's, let's do that. Yeah. And I think it does come down to who has final say. When it's a, a person wrote or directed it, I think that's only fair, right? Like we'll argue our points and, you know, make a strong argument. Although in the end, it's, you know, it's this person's project. Yeah, it's, maybe it's we their can... direction, their mm-hmm. vision. And I think that is the struggle of, I think that's why things like uh, the DGA mm-hmm. don't like um, uh, duo, film, duo directors. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I mean, obviously there are, um, duo directors in the DGA, but yeah. those are like exceptions. They typically don't like that be- for that reason of like the fear of not there being a singular mm-hmm. vision behind a project, which I mean, I mean, I think like uh, now the way movies are made, yeah. there's rarely a singular vision behind a project unless it's an yeah. independent movie. We can see issues with that in more recent films too, right? Yeah. When producers and directors clash as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of that, especially when you, if you're doing a movie for a big studio, like mm-hmm. I said before, th- they like to have a level and understandably, they like to have yeah. a certain level of control and they're like, Oh, what are you making? No, 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 I don't like that. Change that. Oh no, no, do this. And obviously that singular vision is getting diluted at that point. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I mean, just conceptually, that's why mm-hmm. duo directors are not always like mm-hmm. embraced by like the DGA. It makes sense. Although we might go back and, and point out a number of co-directed films right on the opposite end that are, that, that are beautiful and, and maybe uh, required that co-direction, right? Well, there, there's a lot of directors that, I mean, like the Safdie brothers, for yeah. example, are, are too, um, I don't want to say new, but I guess bursting to the scene now. They're, they're new, they, you know. Yeah, I mean, they're not, I'm, I'm not, I'm yeah. saying, I'm just mean like they've been around. It's just like yeah. right now they're getting a lot of attention with yeah. uh, Good Time and Uncut Gems. Yeah. Um, obviously, the Coen brothers have had a, yeah. but what's interesting about the Coen brothers was mm-hmm. that for a long time, uh, Joel Coen took the sole director credit and Ethan Coen would take the producer credit because they wanted to be in the DGA yeah. and they weren't allowed to have co-director credits. So they kind of yeah. shared that. They They're like, okay, you'll be a producer, I'll yeah. be a director. I think the important part of that is the fact that uh, kind of what, or what we were just speaking about, that they can speak about this vision and work together in the end. It's more about creating creating a great film. And uh, they can work together and fill each other in and then create this, yeah. this well, vision. And they develop the movie top to bottom. And yeah. so that that's why they're completely in sync. It's not like they were yeah. like, oh, you have to work with this guy that you've never met before. Good mm-hmm. luck. No, yeah. they're they're brothers, which obviously adds yeah. another level of of like cohesiveness. I mean, yeah. I would guess. Um, and um, they write the scripts together. They make mm-hmm. the movie together. They're in sync, yeah. and that's an important thing when you're working with someone. It doesn't have to be a co-director. It could be your producers, your cinematographers, your actors. There should be a level of cohesiveness. Uh, You should be in sync with them. And that's why a lot of directors work with the same people. A lot of directors work with the same cinematographers and the same producers and the same same, uh, actors because they have that connection. They work well together. They know they know how they work, and they they know once you find someone and you know it works with them, you usually hang on to that person. That's why John Soul's in all our projects. <laughs> John John Soul and I have been working together since two thousand and five. I would like to say two thousand and five. 
been about 15 yeah. years of working together, uh, creating music. Yeah, you and you and you and John have been making music for. I mean, before I met either of you, you mm-hmm. guys have been uh, together making music. So you and you're, you guys are close friends as well. Mm-hmm. He spoke about that on the later episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I was also telling him about how um, that iPod was on your desk one day with all those those ancient tracks mm-hmm. of like. Yeah. Uh, crackly voice teenagers uh, <laughs> rapping yeah so um it was really interesting to hear it's like a time capsule right when you rediscover that stuff it is you know we we forget about how much music we've made together and we'll go back and and, and laugh every so often uh, although always looking forward another project right we went from music and music videos to to film yeah. And, uh, you know, one thing that I like about working with John Soul is like he gets what we're doing. There isn't mm-hmm. like he's not combative and mm-hmm. he appreciates what we're going for. And he he gets it. He understands we are in sync. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you and him are in sync. One of the reasons is because like you're used to working together. And yeah. as a producer, you've probably directed him before in terms of, uh, you know, rapping when you guys are making a song. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I think most of the people that we try to surround ourselves in at least like appreciate, even if they don't necessarily agree mm-hmm. with how we're doing things, they appreciate what we're trying to make. Yeah. And whether we're successful in making that is not up to either of us, but we try to be. We've had good support and, and we try to we try to support others if they have a creative vision, you know, uh, making art is difficult and it usually takes a team, especially filmmaking. And yeah. Uh, we hope to to build a team, a team of people who are there to to create something special. It takes a village to raise a child, and mm-hmm. it takes a village to make a film, right? That's for sure. It probably takes a couple villages to make a film. All right. Um, I think that's a good note to end on for for this episode. What do you think? That sounds fair to me. All right, man. Um, I've been George. I have been Evan. Welcome to the cult. Oh, wait, wait, actually, no, no, before we do all that, uh, um, I guess if anybody wants to, like, reach out to us, I would say Spinning Real, I've been directing people Mm -hmm. to Spinning Real Films. Yeah. So you can uh, follow us at Spinning Real Films uh, on Twitter. That's Spinning Mm -hmm. Real, R-E-A-L, Films. Um, Sorry, that's Instagram. Spinning Real F on Twitter. Spinning Real Films on Instagram. Spinning Real F on Twitter. Twitter had a character limit. I couldn't get films in there. Um, so follow us. Uh, you could tweet at us. You can, you know, communicate with us. Join the um, cult. Join the cult. Never see they where they talk or where they stay Cause they living in a lie or in a cage Even switching to the seasons, I'll even breathe in Till I bring the fucking heat and I need a reason Catch a bullet blazing in the dark And why? On my back and my heart Beast, turning to food if you don't know me Leave them sweated out, nigga, dead it for the police And Kofi, they soft and they talking in emojis Bring out two fours on the AP and Kobe Hold up Shout out to your favorite liquor. This is a shootout, nigga. I'm aiming at all you fakers. You think it's lean in my cup? I'm dreaming this up. The way I'm beating this up, you're fiending this up. Last time being subtle, cause the last man alive never hears the rebuttal. Uh, these haters can tell me not a. Uh, 
We the walking band bottles. Uh, these haters can tell me not a model. Uh, we the walking band bottles. Uh, baby, let us take control. What's like about a little song, little song? Baby, let us take control. What's like about a little song, little song? Put your best foot forward. That's what mama told you. Be a good soul to your boys. Be a soldier. Gotta roll real tight, shoulder to shoulder, like being born conjoined, joined by a rope. Roll real close like Ebert and Roper Since you've been around, Cisco's been a ghost So anonymous but familiar Yet still to be ill To encroach on the dopest The dopest flows I gotta spend it on jokers Kings of queens inject shit to me Cause A stays high like a trip deck Whip less but it's still crack trapped in the tape deck Mad tongues flap like old shoes lace it Even if you keep it fresh, creases make bend Lend a hand but I'm firm when I shake to it And not let it render me useless These haters can tell me not a hunt Whiskey and keys, four races in the sleeve saloon, four horsemen, high noon, noon. Battle with the rebel and the metal will melt. You better saddle your cattle or you're rendering Bellevue. This is my town, get down, better move now. Your feet to the beat, 12 rounds. Keep moving, chase all analog, beat. Whole catalogs, he listen and sit back, grab a six pack, it's mixed match sickness. Flick a match to flip the switch, start drifting. Snake plisskin, escape for the sun starts lifting. On the mission, everyone wants in for the action. Deadly as Bronson, tell me if you want some. Want what, what, what? None pump action from a deadly attraction. These haters can tell me not a what? We the walking bambatas. Yeah. These haters can tell me not a huh? We the walking bambatas. Yeah.